How are you today? Welcome to the Happier Life Project brought to you by mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. I'm Gabby and in today's episode, we are going to talk all about imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is when you believe that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be, often doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It's a miserable mindset to sit in, and so I wanted to explore this further and see if there were things we could do to help combat the, as today's guest calls it, imposter monster. And speaking of today's guest, Sally Heddy is a mindset coach and cognitive hypnotherapist based in Manchester who helps her clients move past imposter syndrome so that they can do what they love. So should we meet her? Ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Welcome Sally Heddy to the Happier Life Project. You are a mindset coach and cognitive hypnotherapist. You help successful professionals move past imposter syndrome and anxiety so they can do what they love. You specialize in anxiety, imposter syndrome, fear of public speaking, low confidence and burnout. And you describe yourself as a project you coach. Love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's always funny having these things read out, but yes. <laughs> I know, I know. And I I pulled it from directly from your website. So how did you get into doing what you do? Well, way, way back, I was an idealistic early 20-something year old, and I thought that a legal career made sense for me. But very quickly, I came to realize that it wasn't going to be for me long term. I wasn't enthused by the prospect of staying there. And I'd always had a fascination in mental health about what makes people tick, what holds people back. And so quite quickly, I started exploring different options. And whilst I stayed in my legal career for quite a few more years, I retrained on the side in cognitive hypnotherapy and that was a transformational experience basically so yeah well cognitive hypnotherapy I confess I hadn't come across the term even before so I mean when I think of hypnotherapy I think it kind of puts you in this trance state right I haven't had it so I'm just speculating but I'd love to know a little bit about that absolutely oh I could talk all day about this but cognitive hypnotherapy <laughs> um is the only model of hypnotherapy with an evidence base for anxiety and depression. And yes, it does incorporate an understanding of trance states, recognizing that we go in and out of trance every day. So anytime you are driving and you miss your turning, you're in a trance then. There's any time when you're not fully present in a moment, you are in some kind of trance. And in the model of cognitive hypnotherapy, it recognizes that trance drives the problem of what you're experiencing. So it's whatever pattern you're experiencing, whether it's anxiety, imposter syndrome, there is a unique pattern that you are experiencing. So when you experience it, you are going into a kind of trance state. 
And my job, amongst other things, is actually to help my clients wake up from that trance state rather than put them into a deep sleep and fix them. It's, it's nothing like that. And then specializing in imposter syndrome, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll concentrate on that because that's the theme of the episode. What was it about this particular area of, let's say, mental health or mental well-being that you felt drawn to, you know, really focusing on? I think it, in a way, like, I think often this happens, it just found me because of my mm. previous legal career, I particularly in the early days of my practice, I had other professionals coming to me and um, they were suffering from things like burnout, um, patterns of perfectionism and imposter syndrome was just often wrapped up in that. One of the many reasons I'm fascinated by it is everyone who suffers from imposter syndrome or most of the people that I've worked with are convinced that it's so unique to them. Um, and it's such an isolating problem. And I think so much could be done to ease the pain of imposter syndrome, particularly in senior leadership, if people were just more mm. open about it being a thing. Um, because quite often mm. people are suffering from what I would see as kind of circumstantial imposter syndrome. They're, they're dealing with the discomfort of being newly promoted, having to go through a steep learning curve. Perhaps they haven't dealt with something like that in a long time. And so they're starting to question their capabilities. Six months down the road, they'd be absolutely fine if someone senior to them or a peer reassured them that that self-doubt or that lack of confidence is absolutely natural and normal. But unfortunately, that doesn't often happen. Yeah. And it was only doing my research for this episode where I read 25 to 30% of high achievers suffer from imposter syndrome. So just thinking about your background in law and then you working with people in, in companies, I'm sure you're very busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you wouldn't necessarily put the two together, would you, if you think the high flyer is suffering from imposter syndrome. I mean, they're wearing a very good mask most of the time, I think. Absolutely. And I think the mask is something that often accompanies imposter syndrome, a kind of veneer of everything's great. If I had a pound for every time a client said to me, no one knows, Sally, no one knows this complete lack mm. of confidence, this complete fear that I'm going to be discovered, found out as a fraud. It's a very exhausting way to live and work. And it's a reflection of someone not feeling comfortable in their imperfection as a human. Well, let's start with a very simple definition and dig in more from there. What is imposter syndrome? So the simple definition of imposter syndrome comes from a study that was conducted in the late 70s by Dr. Clance and Dr. Imes. And they studied hundreds of women who were highly successful professionals um, and some high achieving PhD and undergrad students as well. And they found that these women were simply not owning their successes. They were dismissing their successes as flukes, as good luck, um, and just attributing everything that wasn't their own talent and intelligence, even though it was obvious to anyone else that these were highly intelligent mm. 
women. And so that's the definition that often people think of, this fear of being found out and a sense of, I shouldn't really be here. Some of the women would even say that they thought their appointment in their role was just a mistake, like a, a mistake's been made. I don't deserve to be here. That belief, I'm not good enough. I'm going to be found out. I'm a fraud is the typical um, definition of imposter syndrome. And I think what I've noticed mm-hmm. in the people that I've worked with is this strong driving belief of who am I to do this? That there must be something inherently about me, um, not even my competency or skills, but something unique to me that means I don't deserve to be here. Well, we're not born with imposter syndrome. So how does it appear? I would say that um, imposter syndrome tends to fall in one of two categories, although there can be some crossover. And the first is what I was describing earlier, is that when someone embarks on something new, that they have to be courageous, that they have to go through a steep learning curve. Adults generally, and particularly in a culture that is reluctant to share about failure and learning and discomfort, misinterprets the very natural discomfort of of that learning curve as a sign that something's wrong, as a sign of their inherent lack of capability or capacity. So I get a lot of people coming to see me who have been recently promoted or want to start a new business. They've taken on a new identity, essentially. And so there's that very natural transition um, that takes place and imposter syndrome can come up then. And then there are some people for whom, unfortunately, they have lived with a long time of the belief that they don't deserve, that they're not good enough, that they're not clever enough. And often those beliefs are planted in childhood, early childhood, um, and can arise from events as innocuous as, well, from our perspective, they might be innocuous, but, you know, just being called on in class, not knowing the answer, and people laughing at us, that can be enough to just plant the seed that then grows that belief over time. Is it something that everybody suffers with to some degree, would you say? I think many of the associated symptoms of imposter syndrome are experienced by everyone. I don't think everyone has that sense of being a fraud or that they're going to be found out. Mm. But I would say most humans have self-doubt that that is natural and normal and times when we question ourselves and our capability. Mm-hmm. So how do we recognise if we or somebody we know is suffering from imposter syndrome? What are some of the warning signs? Some of the warning signs would be perfectionist tendencies. Because if you're working and living with a belief of I'm going to be found out and I'm not good enough. Having a perfectionist attitude to work is is just one of the many protective mechanisms we can use. Um, Brené Brown calls it this 20-ton shield, like it's an incredibly exhausting way to live. But it's a way in which many people choose to protect themselves from that fear of discovery. A lack of confidence. So whether someone's talking about, you know, feeling less confident, perhaps a sense of hiding. So paralysis, that can come about as a, as a result of imposter syndrome, which makes sense. That paralysis, again, is a protect, protective mechanism. So 
say you have a dream, you want to launch something new, or you want to apply for that promotion, if you know that there's something that you're holding back on um, and not taking action on that you know that deep down that you could do, it might be that it's that imposter syndrome belief that's blocking you. How does anxiety weave its way in to imposter syndrome? Because I know that you deal with with the two and I'd imagine sometimes they do merge yeah absolutely um again everyone is different um but you could say imposter syndrome is a form of anxiety um because it's yeah a fear of that future I'm going to be discovered or I'm going to be rejected I'm going to fail and that imagined embarrassment or humiliation of being found out it's the majority of people I work with have anxiety symptoms alongside the typical so panic attacks or sweating or shaking or those normal body responses to anxiety but there will be people who experience imposter syndrome in more of a shut down way um so more just kind of withdrawing shutting down disassociating um, as a way of protecting themselves again again it's it's always an adaptive strategy it's your unconscious mind trying mm-hmm. to protect you from an uncertain future from failure and so there's that activated version that comes in the form of anxiety that's more of the, the fight or flight version um, or it can yeah. be the more shut down withdrawing withholding way of responding What's the difference between your inner critic and, as you put it on LinkedIn and your website, the imposter monster? <laughs> well, yeah, I like to bring these things to life. When imposter syndrome dominates, it does feel like this monster under the bed. Mm-hmm. And I think that is compounded by this secrecy that often surrounds it. Um, so the difference between inner critic and imposter syndrome, I mean, inner critic often comes with imposter syndrome people with strong imposter syndrome often have a loud inner critic just like everything I've said before it depends on the person so it's possible to have imposter syndrome without the loud voice in your head saying you're not good enough mm-hmm. don't bother doing that mm-hmm. because you'll never succeed you'll everyone's going to laugh at you but I think the inner critic often comes part and parcel and um you know is like the voice of the imposter monster the imposter monster might have other qualities like the physical sensation of it in your body and how it weighs you down for example so it all depends yeah I would imagine as well that like if you're listening to your inner critic and it's making you feel rubbish that perhaps if you don't suffer from imposter syndrome, even though your inner critic is saying, don't go for that promotion, you'll never get that job, or how have you got that job? You're not worthy. You, you kind of, you are conscious enough to ignore it and still go for the job, even though you've got that negative voice in your head. Whereas I think maybe the imposter monster takes you down. Further. Yeah, I mean, yeah either can happen sometimes the imposter like inner critic about any number of things can stop people from acting I think it's just the flavor of inner critic the the tone would be around you're not going to measure up like that's the kind of language language it would use like you're you're Mm -hmm. not going to succeed um 
So plenty of people coexist with imposter syndrome. It's just, it takes its toll and it's exhausting to live with. Yeah, yeah. And you've already mentioned it's, you know, very common in the workplace. We mentioned about like with high achievers, but does it also show up in the sort of romantic relationships as well? Because that's where, you know, you're not good enough for the partner or that's the reason why you've been ghosted or you've been dumped or is that can the imposter monster appear outside of the say workplace scenarios too sure it can it's not something I predominantly work with I've certainly worked with people where they've held this belief of I you know I don't deserve to be with this person um but I think it's a lot to do with labels as well both in romantic relationships and in work so in romantic relationships who will I need to be to be a loving partner or to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend what does that mean for me in terms of an identity or a wife or a husband um Mm. do I have the kind of qualities do I have the skill as it were to live up to the often very idealized version of what that label comes with And just like with a leadership position, someone will think, what does it mean to be a leader? And they'll come up with the top people that they can ever think of in a leadership position, make assumptions Mm -hmm. about their failure rate, how often they've failed um, or felt inadequate. And then, of course, all you feel is this void. And I think that is another strong characteristic of imposter syndrome is the should idealized version So, you know, if I'm going to be a loving partner, I need to be always feeling this way or doing this, which is often completely untrue, unrealistic and sets people up for failure. Yeah, really good point. So what about the part that society plays and social media as well? That's really got to fuel this monster. And I think about the, the saying comparison is the thief of joy. Absolutely. This is (laughs) social media. Where do I start? It's really dangerous. And it was interesting. I was talking with a a fellow business owner about um, the dangers of of social media. And she was saying that she had been on the receiving end of a coaching session when someone had kind of was trying to encourage her to kind of reframe comparison whilst still spending lots of time on social media and I think we need to really get on it how does that happen and just to know that that your brain has a negative bias and that's often what we're having to mitigate against it's always looking for threat and that comparison is just such a natural part of being human and if Mm. you're spending anyone who spends a disproportionate amount of time and everyone will have different definition of what that means is absolutely going to be more um, susceptible to that comparisonitis, which does nothing yeah. for confidence and self-esteem because you, you are incomparable. You cannot compare your unique personality, experience, expertise, the things that make you, you, you just get yeah. completely lost in all of that when you get sucked in to the world of social media. So I think people need to be really discerning about who they follow. And another Mm. argument that I often hear people use is, 
Oh, you want to follow people who inspire you, you know, leaders in your particular industry. Um, and I just think, no, actually, I think there's a really fine line between, <laughs> yes, there are people who you admire and who inspire you, but there's a very fine line between that and then comparing and just thinking, well, what's the point? What's the point? Because nothing I create or I do is ever going to measure up to that standard. Yeah, that is such a good point. I'd never thought about it that way before. Yeah, I, if I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable for whatever reason and I stupidly go on social media or you get an alert because you're messaged so much. I mean, we can't avoid it, right? There's few people these days that aren't on social media because this is how you make connections and friendships as well. And there is that positive side to it. But the negative side to it can be so negative and really dangerous, especially in, in mental health. Um, yeah, Absolutely. I feel, I mean, I'm really torn about it myself. But yes, I just think the key is to be discerning and to really be conscious when you go onto, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn. I know, I mean, the amount of misery LinkedIn has caused people um, because it's just a point of comparison. <laughs> it's just to think, okay, how right. do I feel when I see this person pop up, notice the feeling. Is that a feeling you want more of in your life? If no, then yeah. unfollow. Just that simple kind of mm -hmm. just being more conscious can really help. And it's also the validation seeking, isn't it? Let's segue on to validation, worthiness, insecurity, I don't deserve. Often we're seeking validation, as we just talked about, externally through peers and loved ones. But I can't remember what YouTube video I was watching when the teacher, if you will, was said, nobody should be responsible for how you feel about you. And I just thought that was such a great sentence and it applied to this episode as well, which is why yeah, I bring yeah, it up. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm sort Easier of said than done, though, hesitating. Right? I wish it were that straightforward. I agree with the sentiment. And so much of what I help clients do is about bringing their focus in to what they can control, which is their mm -hmm. attitude, their actions, their energy, how they spend their time. Because ultimately, yeah, and their relationship with themselves, because ultimately you cannot control other people so you shouldn't let them control you <laughs> exactly but to say that it's quite a simplistic you can take that up to a certain po yeah. point but ultimately we are relational creatures and I think if we come to down too hard on that side of things it's ignoring the fact that as human beings we desire that connection relationship is crucial to our health and mm. well-being so yes where you need to put your energy and focus is your connection with yourself, how you grow your self-esteem and self-worth um, can absolutely be strengthened by you and um, shouldn't be given away to other people. But it actually really feeds our sense of confidence and self-esteem when we enjoy high quality connections in our life. And we can't do that in a bubble. So fear of change is a big factor when it comes to imposter syndrome too. Is this because we are basically creatures of comfort and familiarity? Pretty much. So what are some of the other like triggers then for setting off this in imposter monster? It is that resistance to change, exposure to the new. 
And as I said before, as old adults, we get out of practice in terms of, of learning new things and we forget that discomfort. And I think, you know, people can stay in a mm -hmm. job, they get really, really comfortable and they feel really in flow. And when that yeah. becomes your normality and when your brain becomes accustomed to these, all these signals, both, both internal and external of validation, you're feeling good, you're feeling confident, you're in flow, you're getting positive feedback. When all of that changes because you've changed role and so you don't yet and like the power of yet you don't yet have the competency and skill to, ha to have that what I call unconscious mm -hmm. competence when you get to a point where you're just you know it's like riding a bike you're not thinking about what you're doing you're just doing it that's what throws people mm -hmm. ultimately it's about that fear of uncertainty and in some working cultures there is just a really heightened fear of of getting fired ultimately I've worked with so many people who just think yeah. um because I'm struggling here because I'm not feeling confident because I've made some mistakes that means I'm going to get fired it's that yeah being newly promoted change people starting their new business changing industry a change of area because the brain doesn't like an uncertain future why do so many of us water down or compromise on our dreams and ambitions? Because when you go all in on your dreams and ambitions, there will inevitably be moments of pain and loss, mm. of losing things. And then that might be things that you lose that are ultimately going to serve you long term. But patterns of comfort and familiarity, and again around identity as well, the person that you were versus the person that you're becoming. But yes, ultimately, dreams are so wonderful when they're in your brain because you you can't fail. <laughs> you can't fail if they stay stuck in your right. head. They can just be these wonderful things that you dream about. And the moment you put them in the real world, that starts to unravel probably um mm. so it, it involves emotional and sometimes um sort of real material risk and it is weighing up that fully pursuing my dream wholeheartedly what is that going to bring me versus what might i lose and it's whether that pull which is often the more primitive survival side of us going yoink we want you safe is that pull going to override that greater perspective we often have of, I want to look back on my life. I feel like I did everything that I wanted yeah. to do. Well, let's talk about challenging that pull back to safety and taming the beast. So I read this article in Forbes. The title was Four Questions to Ask That Stop Imposter Syndrome Every Time. And I really want to know your thoughts on this. So the contributor asked his client, who are five leadership role models that you admire? What values do you have in common with them? Why do they inspire you? And specifically, what actions do they take that you admire? And how have you taken similar actions in your life that you're proud of? He said that the power of self-affirmation here is key. I see the benefit of doing that. I can see where he's coming from. He's inviting you to conjure up a kind of 
who would who would I be if I'm this you know inspirational type and then he's bridging the gap between you the and the label the ideal because he's creating that match of like well you've done it too and you're doing it too do I think that would stop imposter Mm. syndrome in its tracks every time probably not because it's a very cerebral exercise and for some people it could actually be really triggering because Mm. yeah what did you think of it (laughs) Well, I, yeah, I mean, when I was thinking about, I, I went to a completely different space of like, in terms of leadership role models, I went straight to Oprah. Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and obviously I will never be Oprah. And if I, if I had put myself where I'm trying to even contemplate having the career that she has, I am setting myself up for failure. I don't think that's an, in the imposter monster. I think that's just you know reality yeah well um you are gabby and only you can be gabby and you have your own own unique path and so i think there is also a danger of wanting to emulate the path of others on the assumption that it's your best route to success because often it isn't Mm. it's about what really helps with imposter syndrome in a very practical, grounded way is helping people connect into their unique strengths, the things that they do best, you know, in regardless of profession, say you're a doctor, but there will be certain people, the way they do certain things, that is their their genius. Yeah, see your point. So you use visualisation techniques when you're working with a client. So it, is that, you know, what you were just saying about... Um, pulling out the the strengths of a person and the the skills and the unique skill set is is that where visualization helps or is that used for something else strength stuff is more of the the kind of grounded practical let's talk about your experience and and what puts you in flow what energizes you visualization is more of connecting in to your emotions and learning how to to change them through visualization And I do this in all sorts of ways. But if we were to do an example now, so if I were Mm -hmm. to say to you, for example, is there a positive emotion you're feeling right now in this moment? Is there a positive emotion? Oh, I'm trying to name one. Um, Interested? Interested. That's not a positive emotion. Yeah, no, you're feeling interested. Do you want an emotion like happy or sad or whatever it is it's excited or yeah yeah but interested I think can be an emotion curious curious I do like I am very curious (laughs) if you could when you're feeling curious if you could point to where you felt that feeling in your body where would you point oh that's an interesting one Mm, I feel a lot in my gut actually excellent and so if you were to imagine that feeling emerging from your gut as if you could see it if it had a color what color would it be blue excellent and if it had a shape what shape would it be I'm seeing it I'm imagining it like a coil like circular oh okay so you're (laughs) seeing it in front of you now on a scale of naught to ten as you look at it now naught being the weakest ten being the strongest how strong is that feeling right now? 
It's pretty strong because you're making me curious with this. this <laughs> <you're> t- the, <laughs> I'm like, where is this going? Did you say 10 was strongest? Yeah, I'm probably on about an eight. An eight. So let's see if we can get it to a nine. And this is just Ooh. something quite fun you can do with emotions, positive or negative, to hone in on the visual qualities they have and to manipulate. Yeah. So looking at that blue circle spiral you've described if it was spinning in a direction what direction would it be spinning in clockwise clockwise so if you were just to do that in your imagination right now and to spin that faster and faster does the feeling get stronger or weaker marginally stronger marginally stronger yeah Mm -hmm. and if you were to grow it and expand it does the feeling get stronger or weaker stronger wonderful yeah. and if you were to shrink it down does the feeling get stronger or weaker um because i'm curious so i'm finding it hard to shrink it but smaller <laughs> Doing that's so interesting i mean that was a very kind of rough and ready quick yeah. visualization exercise and i love doing that with people even if we're experimenting and they learn how to make the feeling stronger Say we do that with a feeling of anxiety, I might even invite them to manipulate it in, in various different ways. And they experience the feeling getting stronger and then they learn how to make it weaker. But it just demonstrates to them that they have more control over their feelings than they thought they did. That they can shift how they're feeling, whether it's growing a positive emotion, shrinking a negative emotion. And that in itself can be really empowering. So Yes, lots of ways we can use visualization, but that, that's one thing. Wow, that is so interesting. Are there any other tips? My biggest tip, tip to people with imposter syndrome is not to argue back. When you argue back, it just gets stronger. Very often people talk of this push-pull mm-hmm. because most people, when they come to see me, they have this imposter syndrome that's telling them you're crap you're no good but there is usually a part of them even if it's the tiniest whisper that's saying no you can do this like you've come this far you Mm -hmm. you know you can do it you don't want these two parts battling is often what makes imposter syndrome so exhausting so I often invite people instead of pushing that imposter syndrome away squashing it pretending it's not there yeah which is only going to make it come back stronger is to invite it in actually and one of the most powerful things you can do is to sit down with a pen and paper and say fine imposter syndrome what do you want to say to me today and let your pen flow let the imposter syndrome voice come through because that part of you that is driving your imposter syndrome has a positive intention It is trying to help you. It is scared of something. And when you give it the time and the space to say what it wants to say, what it needs to say, it doesn't need to shout so loudly anymore. And you can soothe it. And just having those words down on paper rather than having it thrumming in Mm. your brain can make Mm. the world of difference. Oh, yeah, that's such good advice. The repeat of the voice is uh, so exhausting. So as we draw this conversation to a close, 
Can we ever truly be free of the imposter monster, Sally? (laughs) We can liberate ourselves from the imposter monster, I would say. So that's not to say necessarily that you would never have a critical thought or that you would never question your ability because it is actually helpful to have a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes in the right situation. You can absolutely get to a place where it's not dominating your life, where it's not um, driving your decision making. Mm-hmm. So you can actually reclaim your working life, be it making those bold steps to do the things you deep down really want to do. You can you can break the cycles of overworking if that's the habit you find yourself in, and you can lead from a far more self compassionate uh, place guided by self-belief rather than fear yes oh fantastic so relieved we've just scratched the surface here but you've got a course coming up haven't you in October so could you tell us a bit about that please yeah because like I said I feel like we're only tapping into probably about five percent of your experience and skills (laughs) in this call yeah I'm I'm really excited about this program it's called liberate freedom from Mm. imposter syndrome and it is all about transforming your relationship with imposter syndrome so it's six modules taught over eight weeks and each week we'll be diving into really practical tools and um, practices to help you really shine a torch on that imposter monster, the monster under the bed. Once you shine a light on it, it's never as scary as you think it it was. And practical tools to dial down the voice on that inner critic, to actually feel safer in your body. A lot of people don't realise that when you speak to yourself in a way that is strongly judgmental, self-critical, it actually triggers your fight-flight response, putting you in a chronic state of stress. And so creating an in, a sense of internal safety within yourself is a lot of what we do as well. Um, and just growing that part of you that does have self-belief, even if it feels like the teeniest, tiniest seed right now, you have the capacity to expand that, to strengthen your inner encourager. And the brain is plastic. It can change. And so that voice can become stronger and stronger the more you use it. So even Mm -hmm. if in the future you have that imposter syndrome trying to bring you down, your more positive inner encourager, part of you that has self-belief can take over. Mm. Amazing. So to to find out more and to sign up, uh, your website is the best place to go, sallyhaddy.co.uk. Forward slash imposter syndrome for that course. But yes, my website is there and all the information is there. We'll add this to the episode show notes as well. Final thing at the end of every episode, I ask each guest to settle some homework. So what is a simple project we can do based on tackling the imposter monster that will help us on our journey to building a happier life? I would say a really um, straightforward it's a journal journaling exercise and so at the end of every day just to write down just two things say that you are pleased happened 
and like the bar is low <laughs> doesn't mean like you need to have you know achieved anything that mind-blowing so the bar is low just anything you're glad happened in your day and then how are you how are you responsible for making that happen that's it so we're talking really really simple and that is just beginning to flex that muscle of instead of dismissing who you are and your achievements being mindful in your day of what's gone well and then how are you responsible for it to just practice celebrating in a really low-key way just to ease your nervous system into doing that um how you're responsible for that positive thing having happened yeah and that would be good to look back on as well you could sort of flick through previous pages and be like that I could imagine that helps as well giving you the the boost exactly exactly mm. it's a lovely thing to be able to look back and reflect on because everyone has their off days um, everyone has their drops in confidence so whether or not you have imposter syndrome is a really nice thing to do to give you a lift on those bad days yeah brilliant thank you sally really appreciate your time today my pleasure oh thanks sally and thank you to you for making it through to another episode of the happier life project with me gabby sanderson now if you are suffering with your mental health there is a crisis button on the my possible self app which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. If you found this episode helpful, make sure you subscribe to the series and leave us a review, please. And to find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self, and I've been at Radio Gabby on Instagram and Twitter. So please, please do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.